else that bike. So did you guys ever uh, hear the term tough love? Yeah. The dictionary actually defines it as a uh, affectionate concern expressed in, in stern or unsentimental manner as through discipline, especially to promote responsible behavior. And, and although that, that phrase, uh, tough love, uh, might have been coined in recent years, the idea has been around since biblical times. In fact, Proverbs 27, 5 and 6 describes tough love like this. It says, better to correct someone openly than to let him think you don't care for him at all. Faithful are the wounds of a friend who corrects out of love and concern. A, a concern that, that lovingly confronts sin frankly and truthfully, even if it's perceived as, as harsh or maybe wounding in the process, because its intent is always and only to promote that other person's well-being or promote the sanctification of a nation or the reclamation of Christ's kingdom in this world, which is exactly what we find our Lord Jesus doing in today's lectionary text from the Gospel of Luke. And I have my readers, so we're not gonna have a repeat of last week. So. <laughs> so I'm gonna be reading to you from the Gospel of Luke. I hope you have your Bible open in front of you because uh, it's important for you to see this and know where to go back and find it. And I'm going to be reading to you verses 16 through 30. So, brothers and sisters, this is the word of the true and living God uh, penned by the gospel writer Luke. And he says, uh, and, and he, meaning Jesus, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it's written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him and he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at his gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. But we have heard you did at Capernaum do in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath, to the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. And when they heard these things, all the synagogue was filled with wrath, and they rose up, drove him out of town, and brought him to the brow of a hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, oops, hang on a second. Passing through their midst, he went his way. I guess the glasses weren't perfect after all. And brothers and sisters, this is the word of the true and living God to us today. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this record uh, of the life and ministry of your son. We thank you, Father, that uh, even though it's, it's 
difficult sometimes to hear messages like that. We know that you have a message and a purpose behind it. And so we ask that you would illuminate our hearts by your Holy Spirit, uh, because, Father, we want to see Jesus. And so we ask for your grace in these next few moments in his name. Amen. So today, uh, as I was reading in the text, you know, Jesus uh, is at a point where he's all grown up, right? He's, he's come back to his hometown to deliver the morning message at his childhood synagogue. And so every seat would be packed, right? With folks just waiting for this uh, local boy who by all accounts had made good out in the, the big bad world. And they'd all heard the buzz about him. And people were saying that he, he's filled with the power of the spirit and that his teaching in the synagogues and around the area is being praised by everyone. And now he's home, he's come home. And so all the locals sit in their synagogue seats, craning their necks to catch a glimpse of him, to catch a glimpse of Jesus. And just imagine if, if you were there, and maybe if you'd known Jesus since he was a little boy around town. right? Maybe, maybe your children grew up playing with him, and now here he is, all grown up, and he's reading the scriptures on the Sabbath in church. And, and you're impressed, right? And you're delighted that he's chosen to serve your people this way. But then all of a sudden you kind of, you sit up and you, you cock your head a little and you think to yourself, did he just say that? Did, did he just say he was a prophet? And so now you're listening a little closer. And then Jesus does the unthinkable because right in the middle of his message, he compares the congregation of the synagogue to the faithless Jews from back in Elijah's day. And he says, just like God withheld his blessing from them, the same thing is going to happen in their time if they don't wake up. Well, that got their attention big time. And they were angry. They were beyond angry. But in time, that prophecy of Jesus we know would come true when the Jewish nation, under the guidance of their Congress, would reject God by rejecting him as their Messiah and having him crucified. But you know, the Jews were famous for rejecting the prophets that God sent to them. And Jesus, as he's speaking, he knew the people's hearts that day. And he was aware that the vast majority of the people that were listening to him right then would reject him. And he knew why. And he knew where that problem started. And he knew the deception that sprung from it and that it really all came down to stubborn, selfish hearts that just wanted to do what they wanted to do. And it came down to people's spiritually blind eyes. And the fact that they believed actually that they were saved simply because they were God's chosen people. And those ideas spread like an insidious unseen cancer wrapping its tentacles around every segment of society until in their arrogance, the Jews invited punishment on their whole nation. And remember, Jesus wasn't trying to antagonize the people that day, right? On purpose. He wasn't saying what he said just for the sake of being controversial, but he wanted them to really wake up to wake up to the reality that they were in, to the fact that they were living in a land of oppressive government overreach and of merciless taxation and of loose morals. And they were being buffeted around by virulent diseases and demon possession and chaos and riot in their streets. And they keep asking, why God, why? When the truth was all along, God was standing ready with fistfuls of blessings to bring, as Jesus said, good news to the humble and to open the eyes of the, the blind, to bind up the brokenhearted, 
to proclaim liberty to captives, whatever you may happen to be captive by. But when the people heard that all of that good stuff came along with accepting Jesus and his teachings and following him, well, in that case, they'd really rather just toss him off the cliff. Thank you all the same. And you know, when I was thinking about this, I thought, I suppose at least we should give those folks some credit for their honesty, right? They didn't pretend to agree with him. They didn't just sit primly in their places, rolling their eyes and thinking to themselves, boy, this guy is a, a prude and a buzzkill. He, he doesn't know me. Right? He doesn't know my circumstances. He, he doesn't know why I do what I do. And besides, my God approves of how I live and what I do. Me and God are just fine, right? Because God wants me to be happy. But brothers and sisters, Jesus' message to his hometown that day was, if your God always agrees with everything you're thinking, you may be mistaken about which one of you is God. Right? And church, we have the same problem in this nation today because today's culture and morality and ethics are all driven by how people feel and by what we personally think. But folks, when we stand before God, the only thing that's going to matter is what God thinks about a situation. If we're going our own way and following our own opinion rather than the word of God, we may found, find out that we're playing God rather than obeying God. Right? We may find out that we're playing God rather than obeying God. Because when our opinion doesn't line up with God's, then it doesn't line up with reality. And when we ignore or avoid God's word, we're only deceiving ourselves. And then reality sets in and we wonder why things turned out so badly. But it turns out we were in sin the whole time. And we got there because we rushed headlong into doing things our own way, even though we knew better. Until sometime we may even find that we've gotten caught up like the crowds in Nazareth who wanted to rush to throw Jesus off a cliff. Now, I mean, we're much more sophisticated than that, of course. And obviously our, our Lord isn't here physically to be attacked and tossed around. But you know what? We can still be guilty of doing what amounts to exactly the same thing by throwing Jesus out of all the places in society where we don't want him. Like in our classrooms, and in our courts, and in our public discourse, and in our polling places, and in our political parties, and sometimes, sometimes all the way down to the personal and financial and moral decisions we make in the secret places of our hearts. Which is why, as a nation where some 45% of our population call themselves Christian, at the same time we never bat an eye when the state government releases its year-end abortion statistics. And just to kind of, kind of frame this a little, according to the official, this official state of Florida vital statistics in the most recent release from Tallahassee that was reported uh, in just in 2020, and this is how far behind the reporting is though, and you can check this for yourself, there were 74,868 abortions just in the state of Florida just in that year. 74,868. And believe me, I understand this is a touchy issue. And I know in a group this size in here and those listening outside or online, there's bound to be people on both sides of the issue. And I understand that. And we can have a legitimate discussion about all the reasons that people have for, for getting abortions. But please just indulge me and consider these official state of Florida numbers. So for, for you that currently don't know, state law requires each state abortion provider to list the specific medical reason 
or lack of one for the procurement of every abortion. Uh, and again, th this is actual data from the people who provide the abortions and from the people who have attained them. So of that 74,868 abortions as a percentage of the total, 0.01% were pregnancies that happened because of an adult incestuous relationship. Point zero, that's 0.01%. That's not 1%, that's 0.01%. 0.15% uh, were because a woman was raped. 0.2% was because uh, the woman's life was endangered by the pregnancy. 0.98% was because there was a serious fetal abnormality. The numbers get a little higher here. 1.1.48% was because the woman's uh, physical health was threatened by the pregnancy. 1.88% was because the woman's psychological health was threatened by the pregnancy. And here's where the numbers drop or uh, jump. 20.4% uh, was where the woman aborted the child for social or economic reasons. And 74.9% were listed as no reason or simply as elective. And, and because of uh, the adoption uh, agencies that are out there and all the social welfare systems that are in place, I have to say, I honestly, consider those last two numbers together because there's plenty of help out there to be had. Uh, so that means 95.3% of all abortions in the state of Florida in 2020 were elective. Not, not for no, no, re no reason that they gave that I listed. Now, you can do what you want to with that data, but you can't make it go away. And as a body of believers, we dare not look away because, believe it or not, the attitude of the church plays a huge role in those numbers in our society. Because, sadly, too many uh, times the organized church has turned away its young women just when they need us the very most. And we've abdicated <clears throat> the role of teaching sex education to the secular schools. And as a nation, our pastors and elders have pretended too often that good families don't fall into difficult and embarrassing situations like that. And worst of all, many church members have been cold rather than caring when the chips are down. And so our precious young girls are often made to feel it would be better to commit a sin and murder a child than to ask for help. And bring a little shame to their family's reputation. But brothers and sisters, it shouldn't be that way. No, they shouldn't have gotten pregnant. But if there's any place in the world to find help and reconciliation and life for a child, it should be within the walls of the church. Amen, somebody. Right? And the church whose job it is to tell men and women how to walk uprightly according to God's ordinances and standards, but who also have to have the compassion to lift them up when they fall. And to remind them that God loves them and so do we. Because anything less is unchristian and prudish and self-serving. And that goes for all the social ills that we're facing, whether it's disregard for the aged or disrespect for people with disabilities, or, or like even in the case of our dear Tory, who the insurance companies were ready to pull the plug on 11 months ago. And look how much progress she's made now. But church, we've got to wake up. We've got to get fired up, and we've got to get recommitted to reclaim this nation for Jesus. But it's going to ruffle some feathers occasionally. You might lose a few friends. We might make some people upset. We may even be upset ourselves, and that's okay. And that's why one author said, the truth will set you free, but first it'll make you mad. And I think that's right. Uh, and it calls for some tough love.
particularly from our nation's pulpits. It calls for a concern that lovingly confronts sin in our nation, frankly and truthfully, even if it's perceived as harsh or wounding in the process, because its intent is always and only to promote another person's well-being or to promote the sanctification of our nation or the reclamation of Christ's kingdom, which is exactly what we found our Lord doing in today's text that got him run out of town. But that was a risk he was willing to take because, brothers and sisters, love and truth matter. God's sovereignty and his love gift of salvation matter. So that the question we face is, what would we give or what would we give up to see Christ's love and justice proclaimed again in this country? What supposed civil right, what cherished cultural idol, what sentimental feelings or personal choices would we repent of so that radical obedience to Christ could be proclaimed again in America? And so that others would have the opportunity to believe in him. You see, Jesus was trying to get the people in his day in Israel and of us in ours to recognize that following him is costly. And that our acts of devotion can't just be the cost of doing business. It can't be, well, I want to commit this particular sin, but I'll go to confession afterwards. Or, or I really want to party this whole weekend, but I'll watch some Christian television on Sunday night to get back on track. I actually had a lady uh, about four years ago at an Ash Wednesday service tell me uh, about a man she knew who was cheating on his wife and lying to her for years, but he absolutely refused to eat meat on Fridays during Lent. So, so I guess adultery is no problem as long as you avoid those cheeseburgers on the weekends. Right? But you see, it's that inconsistent behavior that those hometown folks in Nazareth heard directly from the lips of our Lord when he warned them not to rest on the laurels of the faith and religion of past generations. And not to think that they were perfectly all right with God just because they were sitting in church like their parents had before them. And Jesus said, don't forget, a whole lot of them missed the boat too. He said, I tell you the truth, I tell you there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine in all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath, to the land of Sidon, to a, a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. That's a rough comparison. That's some pretty tough language, right? And remember, this is our Jesus who had compassion on tax collectors and, and prostitutes, and he was known to be a friend of sinners. But the one thing that aroused his sense of righteous indignation in his heart were religious hypocrites and their holier-than-thou attitude that prevented them from knowing the truth about God and from teaching it to other people. Which is why he said in Matthew 23, you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, you neither enter yourselves nor allow other people who would go in. You know, brothers and sisters, that's why a large percentage of this world ignores our message and our master. They're not even always sure we believe what we say we believe. When too much of the time the modern church has become fake and woke. When the pursuit of money is more important than souls. When salvation takes a back seat to entertainment. When personal comfort is more important than conviction to attend public worship. Or even worse... When self-proclaimed Christians vote for candidates that hate the true church of Jesus Christ and everything that she stands for. Uh, because honestly, brothers and sisters, if you claim to be a follower of Christ, but you still vote for candidates that supports abortion over adoption, that supports Islam over Israel, 
that supports homosexuality over holy matrimony and socialism over Christian stewardship, you're just wrong. And if you're a Christian that does that, I wish you'd at least have the courage after you cast your vote to just come up and throw this pulpit off the stage because that's what you're doing. And at the risk of getting myself thrown over a cliff as well, as I've said before, uh, it is very true that God does not lend his blanket endorsement to any political party, but the devil sure does. The reality of which is clearer and clearer every day uh, when the, the feckless mediocrities that hold the three highest elected offices in our land call themselves Christian and their congregations let them get away with it. Because you see, that, uh, this is the church that the world around us is seeing and, and we're not being consistent witnesses. Too much of our faith has become too shallow and too self-centered and self-seeking. It's all show and fluff and only succeeds in satisfying our felt emotional needs and our misplaced guilt without ever actually living out our lives in covenant with or in real commitment to God. And how sad and how wrong because as a nation we should be growing spiritually. We should be living out our faith in the marketplace and we should be developing a deeper relationship with Jesus and Bible-believing churches should be full to capacity and having to do three services. But to do that, it's going to take a hard look at ourselves first and a heart moved to repentance and not just repentance for our own personal sins, but for the sins of our nation. And church, that's not going to happen if we keep ourselves too distant from the problem or pretend like it doesn't exist especially within the walls of the American church, where one author said, in this modern new age, bloodless gospel is being preached all over the world. And many so-called Christians, instead of exalting Jesus, the suffering savior, replace it with a humanistic self-atonement dependent on our own works and merits, making salvation attainable by what man does for God rather than what God does for man. Jesus put it like this. He said, this people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching the doctrines of men as commandments. We see that that kind of faithful teaching that's needed has all but disappeared from our 21st century pulpits because uh, you probably figured out it doesn't win many friends. It doesn't fill many church seats, but the truth rarely does. And just think about it, how did the people and the religious leaders in Jesus' day respond to those things he said? Did they say, uh, thanks, Lord, for straightening us out? No, they were so angry they tried to kill him. And eventually they arranged to have him arrested and put him to a mock trial. Because, brothers and sisters, the teaching of the cross is offensive. The teaching of the cross is offensive because it calls us to die to ourselves and to offer up all that we are to the glory of God who suffered and died in our place through the redemption that Jesus Christ won for us on the cross where we're told uh, he was an offering to God as a sacrifice of thanksgiving so that we can perform our vows to the Most High. And then God will say, call upon me in the day of trouble. Deliver me and you shall glorify me and I will show the salvation of our God. And brothers and sisters, I've got so much more that I can say to you about all of this. Um, but I know the time is running short and has already run away from me. And so I just want to close by saying, you know, that's the bad news. But the good news is God loves us. And so he became a man in the person of Jesus Christ who lived the perfect sinless life and went to the cross where all the justice and wrath of God that I deserve fell down on him instead. And so brothers and sisters, I encourage you to take that message out into this week and live the truth and speak the truth. Uh, and don't be afraid. 
You may lose some friends, you may lose some family, we may lose some members of our church, uh, but brothers and sisters, the truth is more important than a lie. And I would rather have uh, 10 faithful members of this church than 100 that aren't. And so, and so I encourage you to seek the truth, to know the truth, uh, and brothers and sisters, let's pray together. God, our fathers, so much more I wanted to say about this, uh, but I think for today I've said enough. And so, Lord, we ask you to take this message. Uh, I know part of it may have been offensive. I know part of it may have been hurtful, but Lord, let it only be in love. Uh, let this be a place where truth reigns, where grace abounds. And so, Lord, we ask you to be with us as we go into this week to live out our faith through Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. 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 Would you please